Big idea. Jesus was the embodiment of the Father. Our weekly identity statement, I am the embodiment of Christ. If you can, I encourage you to try to say the memory verse out loud with me. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Luke chapter 6, verse 43 through 45. You may be asking yourself, what exactly is embodiment? That's a good and valid question that we haven't yet properly defined. The actual definition of the word embodiment is to be an expression or give a tangible or visible form to an idea, quality, or feeling. And that's a great start. But there's more to it than that. Yes, to be the embodiment of Christ means that we should be tangibly expressing Christ in and through our lives. But that's where it gets tricky. Jesus wasn't just an expression of the Father. He was one with the Father. He came from the Father, did all of life with the Father, and he lived his life for the glory of the Father. To be the embodiment of Christ is not to simply force our external actions and behaviors to be in line with those of Jesus. It's not a checklist of duties and responsibilities that we perform with perfection. It starts inside. Like we talked about yesterday, we have to desire to live like Christ from our hearts. And when the desires of our hearts are not only in line with our actions, but actually facilitate them, then we are the embodiment of Christ. It's not about doing the right thing, it's about desiring to do the right thing and then actually doing it. This is what made Jesus perfect and sinless. The desires of his heart were only to please the Father and do his will. Jesus was one with the Father. Jesus' point of origin was unity with the Father. From before his birth and through his life, there was never a time where Jesus wasn't one with the Father. He knew who he was. He knew his role in the Godhead. He never allowed accusations or questions about his identity to shake him. He always responded the same way. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. I and the Father are one, John 10.30. Jesus also knew where he was from. John 16, 28, I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. He knew where he was from and where he was going. He knew his source and supply. He knew where his power came from and the reason he had the power. He had perspective. He knew the story and his part in the story. He knew how it all connected. He knew how Israel's past played into his present. He knew how his present would affect the future of humanity. The from always informed the for. His past informed his purpose. Knowing where his power came from shaped how he used that power. He never abused it, but always used it for his mission. His from always informed his for. We get a great picture of that in John 13, verse 3 through 5. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Knowing where he came from and where he was going somehow enabled Jesus to live out his purpose of serving. 
He had come from God and was returning to God, so he got up. Jesus knew why he was here. He was here for a purpose. He wasn't here to set up his rightful kingship and be served and worshipped by all humans. He was here to serve, to seek and to save that which was lost, to give his life as a ransom for many. He wasn't here for his own namesake. He was here to give glory to the Father. Just before going to the cross, Jesus said, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. John 12, 27 and 28. As he headed towards the cross, his prayer was to glorify the Father. Interestingly, though, that wasn't the only prayer having to do with glory. A few hours later, when he was praying, he also prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. John 17, 1-5 All of this comes together in this prayer, and then some. We see Jesus' oneness and fromness with the Father. The glory I had with you before the world began. We also see the for and how the for comes out of the from. You granted him authority, that's the from, over all people that he might give eternal life, that's the for, to all those you have given him. Jesus knew the time had come for him to fulfill the ultimate purpose he'd come for. And this gift of eternal life that Jesus was giving, what is it? To be with the Father. Jesus lived his whole life with the Father. He often communicated with the Father. He heard audibly from the Father on multiple occasions, at least three times confirmed by witnesses. He had been with the Father before and was going back to be with the Father again. I don't know about you, but I struggle with the glorify your son portion of Jesus' prayer. Reason being, I know my internal intentions. And to ask God for glory for myself is probably to bolster my fragile ego. But that wasn't the case with Jesus. Because he was one with the Father, from the Father, for the Father, and lived with the Father, for him to ask God to glorify himself was to give glory to God. They are one and the same. To see Jesus is to see the Father. So, for Jesus to pray for glory for himself is to pray for glory for the Father. What about us? If we are supposed to tangibly express Christ in and through our lives— How does all this pertain to our embodying of Christ? One, just as Jesus was one with the Father, we are one with Christ. Since we are a new creation in Christ, our identity is established by our unity with Jesus. I am who God says I am, and God says that I am the righteousness of Christ. I am one with Christ. That is who I am. It begins with my identity. Second, from. Do you know where you are from? First, you have been set free from your old life. It no longer has mastery over you. God is your master. Jesus is your master. Love, life, peace, grace, and truth are your masters. 
you are from Christ. Because of your belief in Christ, you are now born of God. That means God is your father, just like God was Jesus' father. Your old life is dead. But it's not gone because God wants to redeem that too. He wants to use what he set you free from to help others who need to be set free from the same thing. He redeems your from as you live from your new from. He wants to take what was killing you and use it to bring life to others who are being killed by the same thing. Second, because you are from Christ, you also know where you are going in Christ. You know your destination. You are following Christ who has blazed the trail for you. Because you know where you're from, you know where you're going. Are you living God's story or your story? Is your vantage point on your life from your perspective or God's bigger picture? Are you the main character in your story, or do you play a support role to God's main character, Jesus? Do you know where your power comes from? Are you living from your own power or by God's power? Are you trying to do God's work without his power? Do you do the for from God's power like Jesus did? Third, for. Because you're from Christ and going to Christ, you live your life for Christ. Just like Jesus, the purpose of your life is to bring glory to the Father. Just like Jesus, your purpose is to bring people to the Father so they can experience His undying love for them expressed in the sacrifice of His Son on the cross. Colossians 3.17, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Romans 14.8 and 9, If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Are you living your life for Christ? Is the purpose of your life in line with God's purpose for your life? Are you living from your identity in Christ, or are you living from the false identities forced on you by the life you have died to? Are you living for the glory of the Father? Lastly, in Christ. One final thought on this already really long devotional thought. If you are in Christ, then you are in Christ. If you are in Christ, Christ is in you. What we're talking about today isn't a striving for something as much as it is an unveiling. All these little things that keep us from being the embodiment of Christ are things that are hiding or veiling Christ in us. The point isn't to feel guilty if we're not living from, for, or with Christ. In fact, the very presence of that feeling only reveals to us that we want to be more in Christ and have more of Christ in us. So don't feel condemned if you're not there yet. I'm not either. God just wants to refine us and make us more and more into the likeness of his son. Sometimes there are things that get in the way of that, and like any loving father would, he wants to deal with them so they don't defeat or destroy us. But but why? I really like this thing that God wants to do away with. Because 
this or that thing isn't God's best thing. And that's all he wants for you is his absolute best. That's all I want for all of us too. Our daily scripture focus, 1 Corinthians 6.17, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. 2 Corinthians 13.5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. 1 Corinthians 1.30, it is because of him that you are in Christ, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. As we wrap up, I encourage you to take a few minutes to think and pray through a few things. First, conceptualize. Imagine yourself in Christ, clothed and completely covered in the righteousness of Christ. Now also imagine Christ in you. Your entire internal being is filled with Christ. Second, reflect. Is there anything in you that is veiling or hiding Christ? Third, repent. Spend some time praying and ask God to change your mind and heart about each of these things. If God reveals something in you that isn't of him, ask God to change your heart and mind about it and to help you change the way you live as a result. Finally, thank God. Thank God that Christ is in you. Thank God that you are in Christ. Thank God that you are who he says you are, even when you don't feel like it. 